the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Of course, you're listening to 94.9 FM at AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We get on the air uh, because of Alan Dempsey. He is our engineer. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show for us. Uh, Daniel Sandler, he's in Montana, pastor of Dwelling Place Church, author of The Greatest Story Never Told. Uh, Dan, welcome. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. The Greatest Story Never Told, returning to the heart of biblical narrative. Uh, Give us the background here. What's going on? Well, uh, I've been a pastor for uh, over a quarter century now, and uh, I'm a parent of nine, uh, many of them adopted, and uh, I've seen the world from uh, an urban perspective, being from the East Coast and then living in Montana. Um, I was raised in a home with an Orthodox Jewish father who Mm. found Jesus as a teenager and a German-English mother, and so there are a lot of things about my, 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 my journey, my life, that doesn't allow me to to camp in, in one particular tribe. You know, my family talks about uh, foreign policy with Israel. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish on the one hand, and I'm German-English on the other. Uh, kids in the neighborhood, Catholic kids called me Jew boy. The Jewish kids thought I was weird because they didn't go to Hebrew school. And that's my, da- my dad's insatiable desire to teach his, his boys to, to, to go find out for themselves what's true about the Bible. Um, set me up for a journey of saying, hey, why do we believe that? What, what, what is the distance between the pen of Matthew and, and the exegesis of uh, Tim Keller or, or a sermon by Billy Graham? And so I wanted to, to talk to Christians, Bible-believing Christians who, who consider the authority of Scripture to be important, and ask questions to kind of uh, re-energize an individual's sense of responsibility and permission to examine what we consider to be orthodoxy, because I think there's a large gap between the cultures and ideas and worldviews of the first century and what we are taught at all means here in the 21st century. Chapter 1 is simply called The Adventure of Biblical Exploration. Uh, explain that. Well, I'm sure if somebody uh, listening has a uh, history in the Church, um, there is some measure of expectation that we toe the line, that we agree with the status quo, that we sign a doctrinal statement, that we agree with ideas that are long-standing, that seem immovable. And uh, the tone sometimes it seems to be more about uh, um, fitting in and agreeing. And it comes with, its, depending on, again, the stream you're from, a certain amount of fear, a certain amount of uh, expectation to obey. And I just asked the question in the first chapter, why? Why isn't the, the, the journey to know God more of, a, of a, a journey of exploration, of discovery? Why does fear seem to creep around the edges of our conversations instead of hope, instead of excitement, instead of curiosity? And I just try to open up uh, the conversation to be one of how do we think, as opposed to let's examine what we think and see who's on which team. Let's move to the next topic, Dan. Examining pre-thought, you write about. You're gonna, yes. you're gonna have to explain that. Yeah, um, it doesn't have to be a, a, a Christian idea. It's a, it's a human uh, experience, in that we we come to every set of circumstances, every decision, every train of thought with a whole bunch of tools that were determined uh, prior to to, to us uh, being in the game, and 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 people before us decided things operate a certain way. I heard a story. I was watching. Uh, uh, I was watching a debate, and then I read a, uh, a um, an editorial on it. Uh, a liberal and a conservative in the states were debating something, and the moderator was from England. And in the middle of the debate, the moderator uh, is responding to a point the conservative is making about how liberal the liberal is. 
and the and the gentleman from the Great Britain said, actually, as far as I'm concerned, you're both liberals because we're from where he sits. Nobility, the king and the queen, um, kind of rules the day, and representative government is a liberal idea. And that, along with thousands of other things like that. Uh, remind me that I enter the conversation, theological uh, conversation, exegeting scripture, pastoral counsel, with so many things decided for me. One of the things I give as an example in chapter 2 is most Christians are unaware that 6,000 times they see the capitalized word L-O-R-D, Lord. And it's a placeholder for for what used to uh, uh, exist in that spot, which is the Hebrew name uh, for God. We don't know the, the correct spelling or pronunciation because it hasn't been preserved. Scholars argue about it. But some people say Yahweh. Some people say Jehovah. And if you think about it, um, that substitution of the, of the English word Lord changes our interaction with God from a God who said his name was, I will be who I will be, which seems very relational. It seems not all that precise. And it changes 6,000 times in the reading of the text um, are thinking to have this idea of a Lord, which, which engenders obedience and a feudal relationship. It's like if I called my wife the boss for 30 years instead of calling her um, the one that I love. That would change the tone of the relationship. And that, along with hundreds of other decisions prior to us beginning to think, exist in the way that we uh, treat, exegete, and understand uh, scripture. It's pre-thought. It happened before we started thinking. Does Dan, that make any sense to you? Like, I, I realize... Oh, oh absolutely. Dan, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's well, well explained. And that leads to this topic, authority and fear. Uh, where's that fit? Fill us in on that. Well, in my journey in the church, and I grew up with my father being a church-planting pastor and evangelist, Mm-hmm. Um, I always wondered why, why Christians didn't get along that well. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. I thought until I was 18 years old and went to Bible college that there were only about 100 Christians in Philadelphia, because that's how many Christians went to my church. Mm. And so as I began to look at how the church functioned, I realized that almost everything I saw boiled down to authority, how it worked and who had it. And for a long time, being that, you know, um, I'm, I'm a normal American male, I, I competed in sports, and I, I uh, did well in school, I competed for uh, you know, scholarships for college, you know, winning, being faster or stronger, you know, all that was important in the way I was raised to view authority. And I remember doing a study through 1 Corinthians in which Paul makes the point that he preaches Christ crucified, and mm. the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, and the, and the, and the weakness of God is stronger than, than the power of men. And I began to see that the revelation of Jesus was not the revelation of, uh, of, of winning and being more powerful and, and, and using authority the way human, humanity uses authority, but it was a different kind of authority. Jesus was fond of saying, you know, my kingdom is not of this earth. It, it has this other, other uh, value system from which he exercised authority. So we, he, he healed, you know, the, the Roman oppressor. He healed the, the hated Samaritan. He, he loved on anybody who came his way and healed them, whether they were Syrians or, or Romans or Jews or, or, or Galileans or, or Pharisees. And, and so I asked the question, why does authority that we're so used to always have fear as part of the equation? What if authority was a promotional, bottom-up, servant authority, a lot like Jesus shows us in the Gospels? How would that inform our theological discussions and our exegetical discussions? What if my point, my goal wasn't to be right and to, and to uh, create the others who disagree with me, but what if my, my goal was to connect and understand why you disagree with me? And so I, I look at the idea of, of using authority and expressly noticing when there's fear and, and, and not allowing fear to be the controlling uh, atmosphere of how authority functions. Now, Dan, uh, let's um, set up for the second portion. Uh, We're going to take a break here. Okay. And and when we come back, uh, the topic I want you to talk to us about is the posture of protection. That's that's next on our list. Uh, My guest is Daniel Sandler. 
He comes to us from Montana, pastor of Dwelling Place Church. His book is called The Greatest Story Never Told. Just a reminder, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this show every weekend on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. And it's always a great pleasure when you take the time to plug in and uh, listen to some of our really interesting guests. More with Dan Sandler right after this. Dan Sandler, our guest, author of The Greatest Story Never Told, and Dan, as uh, advertised, uh, The Posture of Protection. Tell us about that. Well, Jesus uh, and the stories of the Gospels that we have um, functions in a way that I think is often missed by the the 21st century Christian, in that he was was constantly... um, uh, revealing and asking the why of of, of how the, the rulers of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, function, and um, that 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 posture of having a status quo religiously, having scripture, we know what it says, and then protecting its message, um, really was one of one of the major barriers for a lot of Jews in the first century to see this rabbi from Nazareth is being actually being the Messiah sent from God. And that same posture is sort of uh, carried forward and is, and, is, and is a large part of how we, we talk about our theologies today. We have these categories of orthodox theology, and we have, we, we have heretical ideas and people that are marginal. And I, I want to have uh, people that are really um, committed to, to, to being taught and informed by Scripture to notice what Jesus does in the middle of his stories, his interaction with people. And one of the places where this idea of, of protecting the status quo that Jesus turns on his head is, is when the, the disciples go ahead of him into a Samaritan village, and they don't want Jesus to come. And uh, they return to Jesus and tell Jesus, and they say to him, should we call down fire from heaven? And it's interesting because there is a clear uh, theme uh, to the end of the Hebrew Scriptures and in, and in the Gospels, that something in the spirit of Elijah has returned to Israel. And Elijah and Elisha, you know, they, they, they raised the dead, they multiplied food, one of them made, made an axe head float. Uh, they did these miracles, and then Jesus is doing the same kind of miracles. So to the people of Israel in the first century, they saw Jesus as operating, I believe, and, and, the, and the text of the Gospels um, shows this, that he was operating in the same sort of uh, authority and spirit of Elijah and Elisha. And so it makes perfect sense when you realize that's how the disciples saw Jesus. So they go, hey, let's call down fire from heaven. Because Elijah or Elisha, I can never remember which is which, they did that um, as part of their ministry 700, 800 years before. And Jesus says to them, do not know what spirit you're of. So while the miracles and the power, multiplying food, walking on water, raising the dead, healing the sick, that fits the template, uh, uh, you know, the, the understood template of how a prophet functions, and Jesus was functioning like Elisha and Elijah. The idea of, of destroying by calling down fire from heaven, Jesus expressly says is the wrong spirit. So Jesus wasn't protecting um, a narrative in Israel he was taking the narrative of Israel, and as Matthew says, he was fulfilling it. He was, he was giving it greater scope. He was giving greater understanding. He was unpacking it in ways that, that actually undid a lot of the, the dogmas, the orthodoxy in first century Judaism, and he was giving it um, uh, a new lease on life, a new perspective that the heart of God um, looked different than the culture, the atmosphere, and the values that the leaders of Israel were protecting in the first century. And I'm afraid that we do sort of the same thing today. We try to protect, you know, this, this lineage of Orthodox fathers who wrote and told us, taught us theology, instead of asking um, whether we're protecting something uh, that has lost its connection with the heart and the message of Jesus. And I want readers of Scripture to, again, have the permission 
to uh, stop working a, a, a rear action uh, protecting and uh, allow themselves to, to have unresolved ideas, to, to engage people who disagree and, and not need to argue over who's right. To, I, want, I want denominations and churches to, to stop splitting over the disagreement over whether worship should be contemporary or, or, or traditional. Um, this idea of protecting something or we'll lose our way, uh, I think has grown to be uh, much too much of, of a motivator for how we make our decisions in, in the church today. Dan, tell us about the tools. You do a whole chapter on that. Yeah, so again, in my introduction and, and several times in the book, I make a point. I really want to talk to Christians about how we think. I'm not trying to convince people of my theological positions, and uh, I wanted to give people uh, tools from which they could maybe read the Bible again, but for the first time. Jesus said to Nicodemus in the middle of the night in John 3, you know, to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And I know evangelicalism um, has taken that phrase, and, and, and this, this, um, this moment of conversion is important, and it is this, uh, this, this moment where, where people confess and, and uh, embrace Jesus, and they, they pass from death to life. It's important. But the reality is Jesus was saying something more than that. He was telling Nicodemus, a leader in Israel, that if he was going to understand how the kingdom of heaven works, he had to go back to the beginning. He had to learn as a little child. He had to uh, set aside what he thought he knew and in humility be teachable again. And these tools are designed to help people with that. Tool number one, observation. Can we read the text of Scripture and let it say what it says? And um, even if we don't understand where it fits in our paradigm, in our worldview, in our, in our systematic theology, I would, I would so encourage Christians to just observe and not ignore factoids that seem irrelevant in the text. Um, I don't know um, if uh, your, your, your listeners would, would tell you to answer this question, but if you ask most Christians, um, in chapter 3 of Genesis, were the man and the woman cursed by God? Most would say yes. And the reality is, if you go back and read Genesis 3, the word cursed is used of the ground, and it's used of the serpent. But it's not used of the man or the woman. And there's so many places where there's information and data that goes unobserved because we've been taught a certain narrative, and we read the Bible to sort of uh, agree with and find support and evidence that our theology is, is accurate. The second tool I talk about is unresolved. I grew up, uh, went to Bible college and seminary, I took tests. I needed to put my theology accurately down on paper. Ordination interview, I was examined for three hours. I needed to give the right answers. And that, that, that posture just breeds um, resolved opinions on things we can't possibly know for sure. And so I encourage people that as they read Scripture, as they have ideas enter their heads, as the Holy Spirit provokes them to see things from a different perspective, that it's not a bad thing to not know what the answer to a theological question is. To say, I don't know. To leave it unresolved. To let Holy Spirit and Scripture work its time over a season, um, instead of having to always have, have an answer for, for every question that's going to be asked. So when observation and unresolved are in play, the other thing I point out to my readers is that the Bible is, is brought to us in the medium of story. And story is radically different. Um, than, than, than axioms or suppositions. Story allows you to, to examine an idea from the different characters in the story. Take the story of the Good Samaritan. He's talking to Jews. They respect the Levite and the priest. Levite and the priest are not the heroes of the story. A lot of them are oppressed people. They know what it's like to be, to be beaten or abused or taken advantage of. They probably see themselves as the man caught by the robbers. And none of them would have had an, an ounce of respect or honor for a Samaritan who comes along and does the right thing, the, the Torah-observant thing. And uh, so, so story is, is largely the medium of Scripture, and receiving truth in the context of a story is a radically different um, experience than having somebody tell you a supposition. God is just is a supposition. Listening to Jesus respond to the, the people who brought him, the woman caught in adultery, is a story about how Jesus' justice works. He positions himself with the woman caught in adultery, a capital offense, mind you, and 
he challenges those who are present at their perfect to throw the first stone. And after he achieves justice for this woman, has very few rights in first century Israel, then he tells her, you know, to, to go, and, go and sin no more. It's interesting how justice works in a story versus how we hear it when it's a supposition. Uh, the fourth tool, I ask people to imagine a world without computer screens, without billboards and books. Most people are illiterate. The major source of, of information for people in the first century in Israel was through their ears. They heard things. Mm. And so repetitive themes, repeated words, were the, were the major way that a writer or an orator made their point. And I want us to pay attention in, in the text. When something's repeated three, four, five times in a chapter or in a, in a story in a book, that means the author saying, pay attention to this. This is my main point. And then lastly, of, of course, is the author's intent. Um, I think this gets lost a lot in our rush to apply Scripture. Um, I think the authors are writing to specific crowds, specific audiences, um, with specific purposes. And in our rush to apply Scripture to the 21st century in the Western world, I think sometimes we don't allow the author to say what the author is saying. Romans, his theme statement, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, a righteousness is revealed from first to last, for the righteous shall live by faith. If you get into chapter 10, 11, 12, and you're arguing as to whether or not um, God made some people uh, so that he could show his wrath um, to the people that are going to be redeemed, and you lose sight of that, of that, of that mission, that theme statement from, from Romans 1.17, you wind up adrift in an arguing about predestination and election, and does God make people with the intention of sending them to hell for eternity? And, and that, that part of Paul's argument, when it's removed from the context of the author's intent, to talk about the goodness of, of Paul's gospel, how it's for the Jew and for the Greek, and how right relationship and power is, is, is revealed, you wind up um, you know, on this rabbit trail discussing something that I don't think Paul even had in mind when he, when he wrote chapters 9, 10, 11 of Romans. And so author intent is, uh, is something I really want theologians and preachers and pastors and book writers to give uh, more attention to, because I think a lot of times in our, in our, in our rush to contextualize and, and, and make things uh, applicable in the 21st century, we lose touch with, with what the first century hearer or reader of, say, a New Testament letter would have heard. Now, I want you to get to this topic, journey away from fear, and you, um, you write about a study of the Gospel of Luke. Can you summarize that for us? I'll try. <laughs> I'm a preacher, so I talk to you long. You forgive me. Uh, I have wonderful people in my church who can't get enough of church, and so we don't have services. They go to other churches. I call them double dippers. Mm. And this really, really sweet woman, um, missionary family, been a Christian all her life, came to a home group, took me aside afterwards and said, I was visiting another church, and they preached in Luke chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And it says, uh, don't fear him who, um, after killing you, um, can't do anything else. I'm paraphrasing. Fear him who, after killing you, will throw your soul into hell. The preacher says that I need to be afraid of God, because God is going to throw um, me into hell if I don't, don't obey properly. And that really irked me. Um, not because I don't believe in um, a, a judgment, and um, not because I don't believe in an afterlife, or um, the justice for the wicked and the resurrection of the righteous, but because this particular set of verses has nothing to do with God um, throwing people into hell. So chapter 6 is, a, is an overview. It's a survey. I could have gone a lot deeper, but I wanted people to stay with me. And, um, and I, 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 I take the theme of fear, and I trace it to the entire uh, story of Luke. I take the context. Jesus has been rebuking um, revealing, if you will, the hearts of the leaders of Israel, and he's speaking about them, and he's saying, don't fear these people, because they could kill you because of the law. They have that right, but that's all they can do to you. I'm telling you who to fear, and here is where I introduce an idea that a lot of Christians look at me sideways and think I'm, and they don't understand where it's coming from, because their pre-thought is radically different than my pre-thought. Jesus is warning the people of Israel many times in, in all the Gospels that something horrible is going to happen before this generation passes away. The temple will be destroyed, Jewish people in Israel will be killed, 
and the event happens in history, 67, 68, 69, 70 AD, the Romans come, seize the city of Jerusalem, and um, horrible, horrible things happen to the people of Israel. Josephus estimates that somewhere between 600,000 and 1.2 million uh, Jewish people were thrown into the Valley of Gehenna, um, just outside the Dung Gate uh, of Israel, um, during that period of time. My guest has been Daniel Sandler, author of The Greatest Story Never Told. Great read, folks. Uh, We've got more right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Daniel Sandler, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, The Greatest Story Never Told. We've got uh, a couple of great guests. They're in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, They have written a very, very uh, timely book, Priceless, Who I Am When I Feel, a 30-day devotional in the Psalms. Jen Barrick with Linda Barrick. Uh, Welcome to both of you. Uh, How you doing? Thank you. We're doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda, uh, why was it important to get this book in print? Well, I, I feel as women, we all struggle with feelings um, that are kind of all over the place. And so really this book is explains how our feelings can be a gift from God. And they, when, you know, we can run to God with our feelings, run to God's Word, and realize that it's a gift to draw us closer to Him. And um, really what's important is what we do with our feelings. And um, my daughter, Jen, who's on the phone, it has a brain injury. Yeah. We were in a really bad car wreck uh, 12 years ago, and none of us should have lived. And Jen has this gift with her brain injury where she just talks to God out loud all day, every day. And Mm. she's so positive, and it's like she stays in the throne room every day, all day. She's talking to Him. And um, so really, that's where Priceless came from. Just, I would record her on my iPhone. Her memory Mm -hmm. still comes and goes. (laughs) She's now 27. Um, But she is so joyful and so just full of God's joy and His contentment and His peace. And so it priceless teaches you how to run to God's word, how to run into his throne room, talk to him about your feelings and find out the truth of of how God really feels about you. Well, let's start in your book with day 1. Okay. When I feel like I'm not enough, I'm priceless. Psalm 36 verses 5 through 9. Tell us about it. Well, I love this um In Psalm 36, especially uh, verse 7 in the NLT, it says, um, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And um, just that God, He wants us to come and talk to Him. And so what I would do is, I would read a verse to Jen, and she would pray it back to the Lord Mm -hmm. out loud. And so, like, she's receiving what she's reading. And so this book is a beautiful gift in that it helps you know how to talk to God and have a two-way conversation with Him. And so I would just, um, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, we, in that same chapter, it's in Psalm 139 and how all our days were ordained, you know, and, and how God, He... We are wonderfully made. And so I would say that to Jen, and then, Jen, you would pray it back to the Lord. And just, what does it mean to you to be priceless and one of a kind? Wow, it just makes me smile just to think that God loves me that much, that I was hand-designed and crafted by Him, and that there's no one else like me. It's just, it's beautiful, and I'm so honored. Now I want you to talk about day two, when I feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. I'm wanted by God. Mm -hmm. Psalm. 27, verses 8 through 13. Mm-hmm. Verse 8 says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. 
And again, just that God is waiting for us to come mm-hmm. and, and talk to him. And he wants to hear us. He wants to listen to us. And Jen, maybe you could just pray that verse back to the Lord right now and just kind of show what we do in the book, how, how you're thanking God for listening mm-hmm. and that he cares. Definitely. Yes. Let's pray. Dear Holy One, Lord Jesus, we run to you. Thank you, Lord, for just your mercy and grace that you extend to us each and every moment of the day. We are honored and proud to be children of the Most High King. Father God, we just want to embrace more of you today and who you are. And just want to pray, Good Shepherd, that you would lead, guide, and direct us every single step of the way. Thank you, Father God, for how we aren't abandoned by you, for how you see us and how we are loved and valued by you. Thank you for your promises in Scripture and how we can hold on to them as security and truth to get us through this day. (laughs) Daddy, we crown you with praise. In your name, Holy Father, amen. The Barracks are our guest, mother and daughter. Uh, The book is called Priceless. Okay, gang, we move to day three. Okay. (laughs) When I feel afraid... I'm fearless because God is with me. Mm-hmm. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5. Yes, so this is um, on day three. It's about how the Lord is my light and my salvation. Mm-hmm. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? And um, again, the priceless devotional, it teaches you how to pray the Psalms, how to read a verse. Reading's really hard for Jen because of her brain injury. And so, yes, um, so we, we, we read a verse to her and she prays it back mm-hmm. to the Lord and just shows us through this devotional how prayer is a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's interactive where you talk to God about what you're reading. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit yes. can help us understand <laughs> what we're reading we can run to God to receive it. And Jen, when you're afraid, what is something we quoted out loud all the time, a scripture when you had anxiety? Yes, we would quote, the Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. God's word just became life to us. It would help um, me just with waking up in the morning, walking into a doctor's office, wherever it was, you know, it is what uh, filled us with strength and security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jen, a few months ago you were looking in the mirror, and what were mm. you doing? I was counting my scars. I was, yes, just curious how many I had. And it was really cool because when I found out the number, God just spoke to my heart, and I could hear him saying, you know, Jen, when I look at you, I don't think, oh, you're the girl with all these scars. No. When I look at you, I think that you are beautiful. You are priceless. You are worth it. You are mine. And so I just love to try to encourage just um, whoever I come in contact with, just that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your brokenness or your scars. No. He looks past that, and he sees your value and your beauty and just how you are one of a kind in his eyes. And the potential of who you can become. Yes, and, definitely. Um, and you can learn more about our story at hopeoutloud.com. There's all kinds of videos yes. of Jen and the miracle story, how she woke up from a coma um, after being hit by a drunk driver. And she woke up from this coma. She <laughs> couldn't really talk to us. She couldn't see us. She was completely blind, but she was talking to Jesus. And um, she could quote every scripture she had hidden in her heart, and she could sing every praise song. (laughs) Um, And so just again, we saw in Jen, her mind and her body was so broken, Mm -hmm. and yet the Holy Spirit was perfect and beautiful inside of her. And so um, we've been on a long journey, but God has truly carried us every step (laughs) of the way. And so the Priceless Devotional is just, it's a tool to help young women and older women, all Mm -hmm. ages, moms and daughters do it together, just to help them um, learn how to pray scripture back to God, how to have a two-way conversation with Him, and and how to make prayer really fun and and a life-changing experience. Yes. Thank you. Let's talk about number four, day four. When I feel alone, I'm surrounded by God. Mm -hmm. Psalm 139, Mm -hmm. verses 5 through 10. Okay, so when I feel alone, I am surrounded by God. You know, um, 
so often we feel alone, but we're never alone. Mm-hmm. And one thing, um, Jen, you love to talk about, mm-hmm. how do you love to view Jesus? Yes, I love to view Jesus as my escort and, you know, my companion, because Scripture promises that once we have invited the Lord into our heart to be our personal Savior, God promises to never leave us or forsake us. So I love just to visualize Jesus being my escort and holding my hand, you know, he's there to carry me on the hard days. And I love just to encourage um, the people uh, listening or reading that they are never alone, that God sees them, and that he just can't wait to come to their rescue. Mm -hmm. And we talk about in that day, just like gravity is all around you, but you don't see it, um, God's presence is all around you. And Jen often just will pray, Lord, help me to feel a big hug from you today. You know, just reach (laughs) down and give me a hug. Help Mm -hmm. me to feel your presence. And the scripture that goes with that day in Psalm 139, 5 through 10, is you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. Mm -hmm. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Um, you know, so often when we're going through the storms of life, I love, Jen, how you'll say to me, just like Jesus got up in the boat, what did he say to the wind and oh, the waves? Yes, he said, peace, be still. And I love um, that scripture. It's so, so just shows the power of Jesus. And just I love how then it goes on to say that even the winds and the waves obeyed him. And just uh, proclaims Jesus' authority and how we can have victory in him and and through him. And we can trust him. With whatever you're going through today, you Mm. can trust Mm -hmm. him to um, say, peace, (laughs) be still, and that he is with you. He's holding your hand. Linda and Jen Barrick are with us from Lynchburg, Virginia, talking about their book, Priceless, Day 5, When I Feel Angry, I'm Trusting God to Defend Me. Psalm 37, verses 4 through 9. You know, one thing, Jennifer has never really struggled with anger. Mm -hmm. She truly has just been overflowing with joy. But as her mom, anger is something that I I had to deal with. It was very hard to watch my child suffer, Um, and especially because we were hit by a drunk driver. And just to think, you know, she had done nothing wrong, and yet um, it changed her life forever. And uh, she's not able to drive a car. Um, she, She has certain disabilities, and yet God continues to heal her every day. And just like we see God healing Jen physically, God can heal all of our hearts a little more every day with his peace and with his joy. And um, and yeah. so in the Priceless book, we talk about anger, that it, it's not always a bad emotion. It depends what you do with it. And so mm-hmm. often if we're angry about an injustice, it can give us a passion to go do something or, or um, to go and, and fight something that's wrong, but also yeah. um, to run to God's word for truth and to take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust Him, and He will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. And so we can truly run to God and trust that He is our advocate. He is going to take care of us um, and and we don't have to speak out or act in a wrong way with our anger. We can pray first and ask God to defend our cause. And then we can ask him to turn our anger into passion for a good cause mm-hmm. um, and channel it into a purpose. And one thing we say all the time uh, when we speak, we, we travel and speak all over the country, that mm. when you go through something hard or painful, it really makes you passionate to help others. And it gives you a purpose. Um, far greater than yourself when you can share Jesus with someone else, when you can give hope to someone else. And so truly that's what we do every day, just look for people that we can share Jesus with, mm-hmm. people that we can give hope to. Um, Jennifer actually was diagnosed with cancer four and a half years ago yes. because of all the CT scans on her head. And 
I went to a really dark place again as her mom, and I just was questioning God. And Jen just said, well, if I have to have cancer, God's going to expand my ministry, Mm. and I'm going to share my prayer book with every doctor and every nurse. And so that's exactly what she did. And um, Mm -hmm. we met a lady last year named Florence. (laughs) Can you tell that story, Jen? Yes, Florence was so precious. Um, I had the privilege of meeting her after we spoke up at UVA, and she came running up. She was wearing a bright blue baseball hat, and she uh, shared with us that she was cancer-free, so we celebrated with her, and then she pulled out of her purse. It was all tattered and worn. It was my prayer book. And she said, Jen, one of the nurses, uh, save this for me, and I've been praying your prayers. I hope that's okay. And I even prayed the salvation prayer in the back, and I think it took, she said. (laughs) She said she accepted Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And Mm -hmm. a few months later, um, we got an email that Florence had passed away, and immediately I was sad. And Jen, what did you say? I said, Mom, she's healed. She's in heaven. She's dancing on streets of gold. My guest, the barracks from... uh Lynchburg, Virginia. We've got another segment with them right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Linda Barrick and her daughter Jen Barrick have written the book. It's called Priceless. And uh, ladies, we have arrived at day six when I feel annoyed. Mm-hmm. I'm free to choose thoughts that please God. Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. Well, again, I think we all have these emotions that are all over the place, and what do we do with them? Sometimes we can feel. Um, almost condemned for the emotions that we have, but God made us in his image and he gives us emotions. And so when we run to his word, um, it it draws us closer to him. We can run to his word with our emotions and experience that relationship with him. And so um, one of the feelings is annoyed um, because this is a book for young women, even though all ages are doing it together. Um, But sometimes you get annoyed, you know, at school or by friends, or and what do you do with that? And so um, really you can turn it around and you can think about how can I help others instead of are, is everyone being kind to me? How can I be kind to others? And um, and so this this takes you to, to God's Word. And um, one of the scriptures here in, in Psalm 19 says, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And so again, the priceless book, it just it has scripture and then and then we pray it back to the Lord. And I'll just read Jen's mm-hmm. prayer here with that. It says, Dear Heavenly Father, I don't want to be controlled by negativity. Help me break free from the me trap. I choose to be controlled by the Spirit who is alive inside of me. Mm-hmm. I don't worship yeah. a God who is dead. I worship a God who is alive and powerful. Reveal to me the things that I am allowing to control me. I don't want anything to have power over me except your word. And then the next scripture is, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And um, so truly, uh, Priceless just shows you how to have a two-way conversation with God as you're reading the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Day 7, When I Feel Ashamed. I'm forgiven. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7. The scripture there says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Mm. Um, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And do not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then the scripture goes on to say, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And I do think one of Satan's evil plans is 
to really lie to us that we're not forgiven, that we're not redeemed. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. And all we have to do is acknowledge our sin to the Lord and confess it and repent, and he promises to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we feel shame, that's not from God. Um, We can feel guilty about a a poor choice that we've made, but shame is feeling bad about who we are. And God never wants us to feel bad about who we are. We are made in his image. Um, he, He redeems us. And so Um, Again, we can go into his throne room and receive that forgiveness, receive his grace and mercy, come boldly to his throne to receive Mm -hmm. that grace and mercy every day. And, you know, we got an email recently because Jen, my daughter, is just overflowing with joy all the time. And someone said, Jen is in God's throne room, has been in God's throne room, and she's dripping with Jesus. And I thought about that all week. And we all have that opportunity to go into God's throne room, to talk to him all through our day. We can all be glowing and shining with Jesus and with his joy. He has gifts that he wants to give us every day. He wants to fill us with his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his grace. And so um, his gifts are things that money can't buy, things that we don't mm-hmm. earn, but but we can receive them when we talk to him. And um Many times people will run up to Jen and say, I want your joy, and she'll say, it's available to you. You know, just tap into it. Just ask God for his joy. It is, um, it'll never run out. It's it's a renewable gift, the the joy of Jesus. When I feel awkward, we learn in day eight, I'm confident in God's love for me. Psalm 57, verses 2 through 10. Explain that one. Okay. Well, so a lot of high school girls and and middle school girls are doing this, and sometimes they feel awkward. And so what do you do when when you feel awkward? And in Psalms 57, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. And I think that's the key is that when we don't feel confident, we can ask God for his confidence, for a yeah. God confidence. And um, and I'll just read Jen's prayer in the book because it's so beautiful. And again, I just recorded her on my iPhone because she still has a brain injury. Her short-term memory still comes and goes. But when she prays, it's the Holy Spirit just fills her with his thoughts and This was her response in prayer to the scripture. Father, today I want to turn my awkward feelings into joy. I know you love me just as I am. Please turn my anxious thoughts into confidence. I know you didn't create me to blend in and be like everyone else. You made me to be unique, and I want to celebrate that fact. There is no one exactly like me in the whole world, no one with the same fingerprint or the same DNA, no one who has a brain like mine. That gives me chills. Feeling awkward is really the same as being insecure. I choose to view myself the way you view me. I am chosen. I am one of a kind. Father, you crafted me in your image. That is such an honor. No one else has my story. Today I give all my awkwardness to you. You are my security and my stronghold. And so, again, you can see how we can read Scripture and receive it and ask God for his confidence, for his strength. Um, he knows exactly what we're going to need for the day. And, um, and again, when Jen was coming out of her coma, she was in a coma for five weeks. She was talking to God, and it was the only time we could understand mm-hmm. her. And um, she just had a two-way conversation with him, and she still does every day. And, um, Jen, what do you do every morning when you wake up? Um, when I get up out of bed, I land on my knees and I surrender my day to the Lord. And I just say, Lord, I don't want to miss one plan that you have for me today. And just please continue to reveal more of yourself to me. And I just, I'm so excited. Can't wait to see all that you have in store. Because Jen struggles with her memory, she'll wake up and she doesn't know what day it is or what year it is. But she says, I'm not going to take one step without the Lord. And, um... Her vision is still bad. Reading's hard for her. And she'll say, Lord, give me your spiritual eyes. 
help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to love people the way mm-hmm. you love them. And um, truly, um, Jen just teaches us every day what it looks like to walk with Jesus and surrender to him. But I love her positive. She never says negative, only positive. And Jen, one day I asked you about that. Why are you so positive? Well, I was just sharing with you that um, negativity, I was saying, it just kills me in the sense that I feel like it gives Satan a foothold. Because, you know, Satan, I said, is the feeder of negativity, and Jesus and God is the feeder of positive. And I feel like when we think negative or even believe negative, that it controls our actions, and I was saying it even controls our destiny, where God is... um, fighting for us and has our best interest at heart. He wants to uplift us, where if we can just realize the two different parallels between the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. I love how you say that, Jen, that God is the feeder of positive. Satan is the feeder of yeah. negative. And so when you're having a thought that kind of pushes you into the pit or pushes you into the ground, yeah. it's not from God. No. God's Word always pulls you out and mm-hmm. says, you are mine you can do it. Um, you're chosen. You're chosen. You're redeemed. I have great plans you have value. for you. Linda Barrick and Jen Barrick have been our guests. The book, Priceless, Who I Am When I Feel. Moody Publishers put the book out. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after this, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.